This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to the Better Late Than Never semi-annual Halloween Horror Nightmare Scarathon. This year's theme is the Stephen King Terror Fest. My name is Dave, and I'm your host, and I am here with uh, Brian, and we're going to be inaugurating this year's Halloween Horror Fest extravaganza, talking about a Stephen King movie. Uh, and the book that it's based on, which we just read. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Happy Halloween. <laughs> Hello, David. Spooky to be here. Whoa. Yeah, so uh, just as a peek behind the curtain, this is our actual first episode back from being on break for a while. So it's probably going to be rough and sloppy as fuck. Off to a great start already, yeah, I think. I think so. I, th- I think we're doing great. Yeah. And um, we are doing, Brian, do you want to introduce the, uh, well, the book, as, as a matter of fact, that we're going to be starting with today? Do you want to introduce it? Sure. So this is a book by a little guy named Stephen King. I don't know why I said he was little. Doing He's very great big. so far. Yep, yep. Stephen King, uh, called Pet Cemetery. That's right. We are talking about Pet Sem. Now, why did we want to do this one? It was your choice. So, why don't you fill us in? Well, uh, as you mentioned, I recently read the book. Um, actually, I've been kind of getting into Stephen King books recently uh, for the first time. I'd never read his stuff before, and. I realized that this was also a film and you and I have a, a kind of a history of watching horror films together, uh, you know, either in person or, uh, uh, Gilmore virtually. Girls style. Yeah. yeah. Gilmore girls spanning the coasts. And, uh, as soon as I read the book, I thought, Oh man, I, I got to see this movie. Um, figured that it was pretty sort of a classic. So, you know, it might fit well with the, um, with the pot yeah cult classic and as luck would have it i had neither read the book nor seen the movie either so made sense perfect made sense for a podcast yeah i so you never read much stephen king is there any reason why i mean he's super popular yeah not even hadn't read much i hadn't read any um was this the first thing by him you'd read no, this, uh, although this was kind of the first, um, I'd say like major title, I started off with uh, a more recent book of his called The Institute. And then there were a couple, there are a couple in sort of, he has this like 
crime sort of spin-off side. I think they're called hard case where they're, they're less horror, less supernatural. Um, so I, I read a couple of those and to be honest, I was sort of avoiding the larger ones for some reason. I, I don't know why, maybe just to be like alternative and cool. Like, yeah, yeah uh, the ones I've read, you've probably never heard of. Um, um, yeah. You like his, his, his B sides more. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I haven't read like it or the shining, um, but this was kind of the, the, you know, first and thus far only sort of, you know, blockbuster, uh, you know, or bestseller as it were. Well, I'm actually in a very similar position to you. So prior to this, I had also only read one Stephen King piece. It was also not one of his uh, major horror iconic novels it was actually yeah it was actually the first thing he ever had published if i remember correctly it's a novella called the long walk all righty it was pretty good uh i liked it it's a kind of a hunger games style concept where it's a dystopian united states a little bit in the future where a bunch of people in their like teens can once a year participate in a challenge called the long walk all you have to do is once a year they gather on a highway and they have to start walking you can't leave the highway and you can't drop below a certain minimum uh pace and there are guys in cars with machine guns following you and it's not a tough pace it's like you know just like simple walking straight ahead speed but you can't drop below that pace Otherwise, you get shot. Uh, but you just keep walking forward. Sorry, are that are these teens forced to do this? No, it's volunteers. Whoa. Okay. But what's the payoff? The payoff is anything you want. Come again? You come up with it. It's it's like anything you want. You 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 say what you wish, and obviously it's not magical, so they can't like create a magic thing. But if you sure. say I want to, I want this, you get it, but it's only given to the last one standing. Right. And I would imagine that, you know, based on the premise, there's not legal bounds involved in you claiming your, your prize either. Right. So this is really just go nuts. And so, yeah. And so, well, and so you can't interfere with the other walkers. Sure. But, and that's it. You, you just walk. You can't stop. You can't slow down. You just walk. So the question is, how good a walker are you? Right. I, I kind of loved food? it. Do you eat yes. food, drink water? Yeah. In fact, uh, wow. a couple of times a day, the guys on the trucks will like hop out and like give you a canteen and like some power bars. I, th- I think I would do it. Yeah. Are you I sure? Mean... But no. but a few you know a couple of things that like if you get a rock in your shoe, you have to like stop and like take your shoe off. That's like you got to try and do it before those cars catch up to you. Yeah, what's what's like the grace period? It was like you get like two warnings and third time you're shot, something like. But that. But I mean, like five seconds, like or like you cannot yeah, I, stop moving. 
you know, period. it's like you could you could run up as far ahead as you want. <laughs> Buy yourself you know? some time. Right. You could do that. Why don't um, we just talk about this book? Dude, it was awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so that was the only thing I'd read prior to that. Uh, and it was also like with you for no particular reason. Like I wasn't avoiding him or anything like that. I just, I, I found his movies. I'd seen a bunch of them and found them. I was a big wimp as a kid. So I found him pretty scary. And then as an adult got more into horror. So I yeah. guess I went around to it. Maybe I'll read more now. Who knows? We'll find out what we thought of this book. I can, I can recommend a few more for sure. I actually, ironically, have probably read more now by his son, Joe Hill. I've read a few books by him. What's his deal? He does the same thing his father does. And uh, from what I've seen now, he's pretty stylistically similar. Hmm. Interesting. So he's written like Nosferatu and Horns. The first one has been turned into a miniseries. The second one into a movie with Daniel Radcliffe. Anyway, Uh we're clearly already in the weeds, clearly showing signs of rust. Let's (laughs) talk about this book. Pet Cemetery. You read it first. Yes. Start telling me what you think of it. What did you uh what did you like? What did you dislike? What was it even about? So um it's about this uh family centered mostly Wait. on what? Stop. Okay. I forgot the premise of this entire thing. What did you know about this before you even started? Oh, absolutely nothing. Oh, all right. The only thing I knew, to be honest, I think the reason that I had avoided seeing the film or reading this book before is because of the misspelling of the word cemetery. Pet Sem. Yeah, so it's S-E-M-E-T-A-R-Y, I think. Right. Or maybe maybe it's S-E-M-A even. It's It's deliberately misspelled. Yeah, it's like a a childish phonetic spelling. so I, I don't know why that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I guess. Um, but I, I didn't know anything about it. Honestly, I thought, I thought maybe it was a spooky ghost dog story or something, you know, like I thought, okay, it's, it, it's about kids and they're like ghost pets, like whatever, you know, I'm not super into that premise. It's like Cujo uh, too. Yeah. Um, but boy, was I wrong yeah okay Um, well i didn't know the book but just because of my whole thing about being into films i did know a fair amount about the movie because the movie is like you said earlier it's a bit it's got a bit of a cult icon status and Mm. so i knew a few things about the movie and so i figured they would also apply to the book and so I went in knowing that. And so, you know, I expected a few things to pop up and they did. So now please go ahead. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about this family, uh, who moves to Maine. Um, always Maine with this guy. Well, you know, that's his homeland. It's he, you know, he's, he's writing what he knows about, I guess. They say um, to do that. Yeah. Write what you know. Yeah. Um, so they they moved to this uh, not quite rural but like small town with a with a university in it. Because, I'd say rural, you know, it's, but it's got a university, so it's like it's let's say like a college town, like kind of in the middle of nowhere. Okay, um, yeah. but it's the but, it's it's like the late seventies, early eighties. 
Right. Um, and the, the husband has accepted a job as the like lead physician at the university clinic. And so he's moved his whole family there. I, I forget from where exactly, maybe the Midwest. Chicago. Chicago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, Chicago. So he's kind of picked everybody up and, and moved them here. And they move into this old kind of creepy house. And things just kind of go from there, I guess. Yeah. And speaking just for myself, I feel like things start going wrong for this family from the jump. Like they're yeah, like bad page four. Yeah. They're bad omens immediately. Like they arrive and the kid, like, so it's the dad, the mom, a daughter and a baby, like toddler boy. Yep. And so who is it? We've got Lewis, the dad, Rachel, the mom, Ellie, the precocious daughter, and Gage, the toddler boy. Gage. They are Gage. What the hell kind of name is that? Gage. Anyway. <laughs> um, so. And they're right. Oh, yeah. The fucking cat. All right. So they arrive. First thing that happens, Gage gets stung by a bee and Ellie scrapes her leg and he can't find the keys. So this is like, they're still all on the front lawn, like having just pulled up. Yeah. Then on his first day of work, a guy like, this is like a university health clinic. His first day of work at the university health clinic, a dude gets run the fuck over and killed in an incredibly gory, horrible way. And like, the next day he has a prophetic dead guy dream about it. Yep. He gets basically gets visited by, by the dead guy in his dream or yeah. is it right? Exactly. The, he has constant marital strife with the wife, Rachel, like they're, they're fighting constantly. And then the fucking cat gets run over. Yep. So they, even though they're on, even though they're in this, you know, fairly rural area, they're they're right on a main road. The frontage of their house is on this main road, which is a thoroughfare for trucks, I guess, passing through. And and there's like a factory or or something nearby. Yeah, like a chemical plant. Yeah. So there's always trucks, kind of, you know, all times by. day and night, roaring by. <laughs> Yeah, and so this, you know, all of all of this is sort of like, you know, not a good sign, but it gives us cause to meet their next door neighbor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Judd Crandall. Do you want to tell us about Judd Crandall? I would love to. Uh, so Judd is basically uh, a, an old time Mainer and he seems about as old as time and the kind of guy who just spins endless yarns about the old times, you know, back, back in aught, aught seven, uh, yep. you know, that, that house over there burnt down, don't you know? And um, uh, if you've ever seen, and I mean, ever seen South Park, there um, it is. this, this character is a recurring character uh who sort of warns 
the townspeople uh, in South Park against doing whatever dangerous, sketchy stuff they have to do. Oh, that um, road? You don't want to go down that road. That road there cuts through an old Indian burial ground. Um, so he's, he's next he's thing you know, guy. the mailman is fucking your wife. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I know uh, what you're thinking, Starch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, he, he sort of takes this family under his wing, um, helps them out, you know, sees what's going on with Gage, helps them get into the house. Uh, he, he lives directly across the street and he, it's clear that he, he, he knows the lay of the land here. So he's going to be, uh, a friend to this family, especially, um, especially to the, uh, the patriarch Lewis, dude, Lewis, Lewis. fucking loves Judd. He does. I think he, he looks up to him quite a bit. He's a, he's a man's man. He is. As opposed to Lewis, I kind of want to, I wrote down in my notes for this a little bit of a, a breakdown of all the main characters. And I just want to run through them to see if you agree a little bit, at least for the Creed family. So Lewis he is a doctor. He's kind of an asshole. Um, did you find that? Yeah, he's he's a little prickly for sure. He um, he's kind of not that nice to his wife, I would say. No, I have uh, dick to his family here as a note. Yeah, and underneath, shitty to his wife, and underneath that, doesn't even seem to like his daughter at first. Right. In the first scene, he seems like he doesn't really like the daughter. Right. Well, and one of one of his sort of fantasies as they're like arriving at the house is that he just picks up and moves to Florida. Yeah. He's, he's just like, oh man, what if I, what, sh- should I just leave this family and like go mm-hmm. work at Disneyland or Disney World in Florida, be a doctor there? So yeah, he's, I think he's grappling with his identity and struggling with not being happy with his life and taking it out on his family. He is also kind of a drunk. Yep. And I wonder if this is a little bit of self-insert for Stephen King, who rather famously struggled with alcoholism, particularly, oh. I think, around the time that he wrote this. Okay. Then we get Rachel, the wife, who is not written much better. She's written, I feel like, kind of in the typical weak, hysterical wife role, kind of like a bitch, at least until the end where she gets a little better. Yeah. She does have the backstory with her creepy sister, though. She does. Well, and I think that probably contributes to her character a little bit. She, her sister was, was chronically ill as a child. So that caused a lot of trauma in her life and also caused her to be neglected, um, by her parents, uh, who were rich, but were not rich in love. Yes. Um, so I think she's a little, she's a little fragile and, um, she's afraid of death. Yeah. She's very afraid of death, has a lot of anxiety has a lot of misgivings, I think, about, you know, this unfamiliar place, you know, picking up and changing their whole life. But really, she kind of, 
she kind of just wilts to her dickish husband and yeah, you just kind of feel, feel bad for her a little bit. Yeah. She, I, I, I came to like her more at the end when she's like valiantly trying to get back home in order to uh, save the situation. But for a lot of the book, I didn't like her. Mm -hmm. Um, Ellie, the precocious slash annoying little girl who seems to have in, in classic Stephen King fashion, mild telepathy and some kind of prophetic (laughs) dream powers. Yep. She does. I mean, I don't know how you say you haven't read a lot of Stephen King and neither have I, but you know, I've seen Stephen King films or at least have a passing familiarity with them. And so after like it and the shining and dream catcher, uh, little kids with psychic powers or, or fire starter, you know, like he just loves little kids with, fi- with psychic powers. Well, the, the first book that I read by him, the Institute is entirely that little that kids is the with entire psychic powers. Plot. Yeah. The Institute is an Institute for children with telepathy or telekinesis. That yeah. is, that's the entire hinge of the, the book. Yeah. So whatever. And then there's well, to Gage. To be fair, he did oh. grow up with with telekinesis. So, oh, you know, so right, again, right kind with of, what you know, right what you know. Okay. Yeah. Last, there's Gage, who just lives to die. But I will say one thing that the book does that I thought was very interesting was that uh, it does the this time jump. It's broken up into sections. The book. And there's this interesting time jump where it jumps past the section where Gage actually dies. Mm-hmm. It ends one section and then it starts the next section and Gage is already dead. And yeah. I thought that was a kind of a cool little narrative conceit. His death plays out later in flashback and it made for a interesting yep. way to go about it. It was, yeah, because they they sort of it jumps, and then you're you're like, is this a dream? Is this uh, because there are lots of creepy and prophetic and uh, you know death related dreams? But it it's sort of like, whoa, what? Where's the reality here? And then like they sort of walk backwards <laughs> to like fill in the pieces a little bit. So there's this creeping sort of reality of the the horror of this child dying um, that yeah, was really written very well, very suspenseful, but like reverse suspenseful because it already happened. Right. Yeah. And his horrible, incredibly awkward funeral where the, the Lewis gets in a fight with the father-in-law and they, there's a they coffin the flop coffin over. There's a cop. <laughs> Is it their fault that his, big blue butt falls out and is hanging all over the place. We don't need permissions of the families because they got no souls. Except evidently maybe they do because (laughs) we'll get to it in a second. Let's just talk about Judd real quick. He's clearly the old South Park farmer. He says a a lot, but we're missing. Can you lay your finger on besides a his his big line? that's going to pop up in the movie? Uh, oh, yes. 
sometimes dead is better. Yeah. I kind of said that like belt a louder, but <laughs> belt a louder. Better. Better. The belt is for belters. Um so that's Judd. He's a cool guy. We've been dancing around it though. I think it's time we finally turn to the real star of Pet Cemetery. The Sam. That's the pet Sam. <laughs> so there's a little kid's pet cemetery that's sort of the uh the fake pet cemetery. It's the 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 real one that hides the uh, magical one further back into the woods. And this is where the kids bury all of their various and sundry pets that have been killed on that goddamn road where all of all the generations. Yeah. And, you know, up to and including uh, little Gage Crandall getting hit by that truck. And it's just got all kinds of uh, dogs and cats and whatever up in there but just beyond it and let's wait just stop here a second because this isn't like a you know cemetery you see from the road and you can drive through it and yada yada it's it's up a meandering hilly path that is accessed directly through uh lewis's property so the path is on is on their sort of back uh back lot and it's sort of like the only way there is if somebody brings you there and the kids all know about it. The kids keep up the path, um, but it's, you know, it's sort of like a little town secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But beyond that is the real pet sem. It is at least described to us at first as being the Micmac burial ground. Now, I looked it up. It's spelled in the book as Micmac, like M-I-C-M-A-C, but mm-hmm. I checked it out, and Micmac is a real, actual Native American tribe, but it's spelled M-I apostrophe K-M-A-Q. So that was oh. just a uh, Anglic- Anglicanization. Anglicanization, yeah. And it's kind of that ancient Indian burial ground trope. And that got me a little interested in where did that trope originate? And good question, yeah. Right? So what was the first instance of that? And at least in the limited Googling that I did, the first pop culture reference to the ancient Indian burial ground trope is the the Amityville Horror. Ah. The novel that came out in 1977. Poltergeist came out a few years after that. But these are all relatively within same. a ten-year span. Yeah, it, it it got real hot there for a minute. Interesting. I would yeah. have thought it would have been an older. Yeah, older you would have idea. thought it would been something more popular, like at the time when Cowboys and Indians was a thing. Yep. Yeah, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. It was more of a late seventies, early eighties thing. So. Yeah. But as it turns out, when we read deeper into the book, the power of this place isn't actually really Native American. This is a primordial thing. 
that existed even before the Native Americans even arrived. It just was always there. And so it has like the gloss of ancient Indian burial ground on top of it, but it's it's just it, it's it predates even that. It's yeah. a weird primordial place. Yeah, they're just a, the most recent sort of stewards of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that is even scarier in in its way. Mhm. Yeah. So you know, if you go to the kids' pet cemetery, there's kind of a barrier that's difficult to get past, but you can it's get described as a, a deadfall, which I thought was an interesting term. Yeah, there's a lot of a, a lot of things once you start getting close to it that start getting into that it looks like one thing un- or behaves like one thing unless you either believe or are under the spell, in which case it shifts and you can kind of see the real face of it or capable of passing through it. And it has this real sort of, um, in getting past the deadfall even, there was a bit of that centipede's dilemma kind of concept, which is, do you know that term? No, I haven't heard that. So the centipede's dilemma is uh, a term that I love. I read it in a book somewhere. It's that a centipede is walking by and an ant is like, hey, man, I always wanted to ask you, how are you able to walk around controlling all those legs? Mm. And the centipede was like, you know, I actually never thought about it before. I just always sort of did it. And then he turns to go on his way and all of a sudden he's like all out of sorts and can't move right. Yeah, because he's he's thinking about it. Now now. he's thinking about it. Mm. And it comes up people don't always use the same term but it's the kind of thing that'll pop up all the time in sports and in any sort of thing where it's like you have to get in a certain zone where you're just doing and not thinking yeah a flow state right you don't want to get the twisties exactly simone biles had the centipedes dilemma and this thing behaves the same way where you can't get past the deadfall. If you're trying to get past the deadfall, you only get past it. If you like confidently walk over it, knowing that you will pass. Exactly. Like don't look down. Don't stop. Don't consider where you're putting your feet. Just walk. Yep. You're just walking up a flight of stairs. Exactly. It's that. And so it's, uh, it's got that kind of power. And it also, it works better when the thing wants you to come. It's sort of like a living thing that has a power that waxes and wanes. And it, it, when Lewis gets there, evidently its power is waxing and it's like using him. It wants to like get out. And Judd at some point theorizes that it's been influencing events to try and like fuck up Lewis's life in order to get Lewis's family members into the cemetery so that it could possess them and get out. And since its power is in a waxing state, it's more able to like put them under, you know, affect things outside of itself and put Lewis and various other people under its spell, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool shit. Yeah. And so I guess the last question I'll, ask specifically about the book is what were your thoughts about it oh i i 
enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I th thought it was well written as far as building the tension and yeah, sort of having a nice combination of some supernatural elements, but also, um, you know, just a lot of human nature as well, like how much of this is um, choice or, you know, one's desire to protect your family at all costs, um, you know, sustain life. And how much of it is, you know, outside of your control. Um, and those things really sort of come to a head multiple times. Yeah, it was, it was quite a gripping book, I would say. Yeah, I think gripping is a good word for it. I read it very quickly in very few sittings. Yeah, it was, it, it was engrossing. Yeah. Did you find it scary? Um, I think I would say creepy, mm. uh, in, in some ways. Um, I think the, the sort of like the descriptions of the undead, as well as the, uh, just sort of the thought manipulation. Um, it's interesting because Lewis, he's sort of under a spell, but he's, he's both aware of it and unable to stop it at the same time. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like loss of mind and loss of free will and control. I thought Stephen King did a, did a great job in, in writing that in a way that I found really creepy. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like the centerpiece of the book is really the grave robbing scene where mm -hmm. he, where er, that's where everything comes to a head and it's also sort of like the it's it's the key climax horror moment in, in a way of the story because it it, it focuses there, there's been grave robbing in some other classic horror tales like you know in uh frankenstein when they're getting the parts Mm -hmm. things like that or you know and some other things where they're trying to like dig up a corpse to make sure something is dead but they never focus on the horror of what digging up a grave really is and this yeah. did the the logistics or just the reality of the, the, the all the gory details right and also the um not the blasphemy, I don't think is the right word for it, but the, what a horrible act it is to do. Yeah, both physically and emotionally, just sort of gripping with that concept. Yeah. Especially of your own child. Right. Yeah, it, it was quite a sequence. Yeah, and really the, you know, a, a a, a real turning point. Like, you know, he makes, he's all in at that point, you know, oh, yeah. there, there's, there are a lot of opportunities where he could have turned around. He could have made the choice not to, or, you know, we think he could have made the choice. He perhaps was not able to make the choice, but that's really what pushes it uh, to the next level. Yeah. An effective thing that I think King does during 
that sequence to build the tension is that um in the lead like to make it even more tense is that in the lead up to him doing it and as he's digging as we approach that um point of no return that event horizon he has the other people giving the girl psychic powers to sort of sense the approach of that moment and her progressive freaking out about it and to give the wife the attempt to try and reach him in time and battling against the force of the place, which is actively kind of working against her to try and like keep her away. You know, it builds like a, a a conflicting tension sort of from other sides. Yeah. And it gives you like a race against time a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it helps. It's, it's well-structured. Um, cool. Well, I think we've pretty much covered the book here, unless you have anything more to add. No, uh, really excited to watch the film. Yeah. Oh, here's the word I was looking for with the, uh, with the grave robbing obscenity, the obscenity of it. Yeah, totally. I, I wrote it down. Oh, actually I wrote these in notes. I should have referred to them. The main event happens surprisingly late in the book. A lot of this section seems to revolve around decision-making. When you make a choice, how firmly and hard you make it, the lies and self-justifications you tell, and that you allow yourself to make, the outs you give yourself right up to the point that you do the exact thing that you've been intending to do the entire time. And then, which is what you just said, basically. Mm-hmm. And then it's all the scene is almost religious. The crux of the horror is the obscenity and the blasphemy of the resurrection, not the slasher horror of the uh, demon child that comes afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if, even if the demon, you know, and the grave element didn't exist, this in and of itself is a horror story. Right. Just the desperation of a father going to the length of digging up his, his dead son is, is horrific. Yeah. And uh, uh, the last note I have about it is just grave robbing. Yuck. <laughs> Indeed. Oh my God. All right. Let's talk about the movie. So Brian, you have clearly heard of the movie Pet Cemetery. Only in as much as I have seen the, you know, cover as it were in uh you know netflix or wherever it was but uh as i mentioned at the beginning i had no idea and had not heard anything about it prior to reading this book okay so do you have any i mean clearly you know what it's going to be about and everything like that and you know generally the genre it'll be in but have you heard anything more generally about its reputation has it been hyped up at all nope Really? (laughs) No one you know has seen it. No one has talked about whether or not they like it. You've never seen it on like a top 10 list or anything like that. None of those things has happened. Okay. Okay. But you said you knew it was a cult favorite. I did not. Do you need me to read back? Play it back. Play back the tape. Well, we're recording. I can't do it now. Uh, I, I don't think I did think it was, I mean, 
I guess I had heard it as far and I knew that it was a Stephen King. Mm. So I think if it's, if it gets to the point of making a movie out of one of his books, it's, it's going to be big, you know, reputation wise. But uh, as far as somebody I actually know or reviewer or anything like that, I, I haven't heard word one about it. How big do you think this movie was like compared to other Stephen King movies? Like put it on a scale of the shining to mm. the Langoliers. Well, I haven't even heard of the Langoliers, but that's so, why it's on the other end. Okay. So yeah, figure shining is, is, you know, number one with a bullet. And then I think you get into your it's yeah. after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say this is probably in the, in the mid range. Okay. Um, like you're so, round four, round four pick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, do you know who directed it? Uh, nope. Do you know who's in it? Uh, nope. <laughs> now you know where it takes place, obviously, right? Assuming it's true to the um, source material, Maine. What's the name of the town? Oh, uh, something falls? Ludlow. Ludlow. Okay, great. Is that a real place? Uh, yeah, I remember looking it up, but I forget if it was real or not. I do know the book contains several, as is King's style, it had several references to his other works. There was references to Derry, which is the location for it. And there was mm-hmm. references to the events of Cujo. Mm, interesting. At one point they were talking about, yeah, this dog went crazy and like killed all these people. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Then what quotes are you expecting from this movie? I mean, a whole lot of ayops from... Uh from Judd definitely looking forward to that. And we already mentioned the sometimes dead is better. Um, and also there should be a, a sequence of Judd trying to talk Lewis out of it, uh, consisting of, um, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about digging up that boy of yours and burying him in the old McMack burial ground, burial ground, burial ground. <laughs> Um, so yeah, something along those lines. Um, yeah, nothing else really sticks out at me as far as, uh, notable quotes. Okay. Any particular shots or images that you think you've seen before in the zeitgeist? Oh, hmm. Not really. No. Um, not that I can think of. Okay. Well, like I said, uh, this is also a first time for me actually seeing this movie, but unlike you, I know a little bit about it by reputation. So I'm going to throw some predictions out here that I pretty much know are true. You can choose to listen if you want, because these are basically slight spoilers. Mm, Okay. I'll stick around. I'll take a backseat. All right. Okay. So Brian has stepped away. These are my predictions now. So... Number one, uh, I do not know her name off the top of my head, but I do know that a uh, fun fact about this film is that it is directed by a woman, uh, which was uncommon at the time and is sadly still common today. Uh, I do know that actors featured in this film is Fred Gwynn 
as Jed and Denise Crosby of TNG fame as Rachel. Obviously, the uh, lines that Brian provided for us are accurate. Particular shots and images I've seen in a whole bunch of different, like, you know, horror anthologies of famous horror scenes. There's the kid getting run over, which I'm very much looking forward to. And obviously the uh, centerpiece scene, I think, of this movie, Fred Gwynn's Achilles tendon getting slashed by the little demon baby, which uh, I'll get into more, but it's thanks to that stupid Bravo show that I've talked about in other episodes. So that's probably it for my specific recommend or my specific predictions. We'll get more into that in part two. Okay, Brian, you can uh, come back. I'm all done. Cool. All right. No spoilers for me. No going in cold. That's right. And that's pretty much all we've got. Unless Brian, you have any last predictions or hopes for this movie that you would like to get on record before we go and watch it. I mean, I predict and I hope that I am going to enjoy it thoroughly. Don't we all? So say we all. So say we all by your command. All right, folks. Well, that is it for a very special, terrifying Halloween spooktacular part one. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And please come back for part two when we will be talking about the filmic version of Stephen King's Pet Sam. Bye. Bye. This is the